0: Welcome to Block and Order, the show that explores the legal issues facing the world of Web3 and beyond. I'm Kyle Lawrence, and with me as always, my friend and yours, he just deferred 98% of his salary for the next 10 years, forever changing the very fabric of time and space, Moish Pelts.
1: Kyle, I didn't defer it. I just, <laughs> dollar-cost averaging into Bitcoin. There so we go.
0: That's a Smart move. I knew you were a smart guy. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah.
1: Happy Hanukkah to you as well. <laughs>
0: I trust you've been celebrating uh, every night with your family and giving gifts and bestowing upon them all the wonders of the world.
1: That's right. We have been celebrating each and every night, and uh, my kids now expect a gift on every night. So that's that's been a challenge. So do I. Tonight, tonight we got that. This gift sucks. (laughs) I was like, okay, great. It's night seven. We're running out of ideas. Take (laughs) me.
0: This is your gift. You get pizza and you like it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You have a a
1: warm place to live and a roof over your head.
0: That's a pretty nice gift. I'm not not going to lie. You know,
1: not everyone has (laughs) that. So take what we can get.
0: That's true. That's true. Well, Moish, why don't you kick us off uh, with the order tonight?
1: All right. Let's go to the top of the order. So the first topic for tonight is the Kyber swap hack. Exploit, hostile takeover I don't know what you want to call this thing. But essentially, there was an exploiter who hacked the KyberSwap decentralized exchange for about $50 million US. And after taking the money, the hacker offered an ultimatum, an on-chain ultimatum, sent via uh, on-chain message. You can see it on Etherscan. Uh, Basically offering... To take over complete executive control of the organization. So the offer included a buyout of the executive team at a fair valuation. It included an offer to double employee salaries and to basically do a full takeover of the platform to increase the value for all token holders and LPs, and et cetera. Uh, so that was a couple of weeks ago. He threatened that the Kyberswap had only until December 12th to comply. But since then, seems to be a bit of radio silence. I actually checked the Etherscan records before this recording, and it seems like there's been, there's been no significant communication on chain since then. So, Kyle, I, I guess my first question is, you know, what is this thing? Is this a hostile takeover? Is this a criminal act? Is this an unhinged ransom note? Is it all the above? Like what? What? What do we make of this?
0: Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes to all those things. I mean, you can call it what you want. This is Peter Pan. This is you know some sort of crazy you know stealing from the rich, giving to the poor, stealing from the rich and giving it to yourself. What What's interesting to me about this particular situation is the complexity to it all. Medium had a great breakdown of how these people executed this hack utilizing different chains, Ethereum, Polygon, BSC, Arbitrum, Avalanche. I mean it was just the laundry list of all the chains and they had a very systematic approach to exploiting what Kyberswap calls the concentrated liquidity market maker mechanism. Um, I, I'm not going to get into it now. It's very, it's very technical, but we'll drop a link to the Medium article in the show notes. Um, But, but this is, you know, it's hard to call it a criminal act when all they did was just exploit something. It's clearly bad faith, but is it criminal? It's, you know, I I think that's a tougher argument to make. Quite frankly, I'd be curious to see what you think, what these DeFi platforms can do to enhance their security measures to prevent this kind of thing.
1: Well, I know that, you know, as to the point of whether it's criminal, I, I don't know that there's been an affirmative decision on a case like this. But the DOJ is certainly bringing cases that look pretty analogous to this in terms yeah, of the, the type of exploits that have happened. So the Department of Justice certainly takes the position that this is a, a, a type of criminal act, um, at least in, in similar circumstances. I'm not right. speaking specifically to this one. Um, in terms of, you know, just, well, yeah, what, what are the broader implications? How can... Uh, organizations implement better security mechanisms to prevent this. Um, you know, I, I think that's really it. It's just the security of these decentralized platforms um, can be in question. Or there are there certain types of exploits that they're especially susceptible to? And it's hard for, I think every platform to prevent against every right. attack at all time. Right. That's yeah. just like the, in, in the, in the, 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 uh, cat and mouse game you know it's just like the the exploiters here are just better equipped to find exploits and and leverage and you know they're going to find them they're going to make their conduct exploit and then now they're seeing right there's kind of after the fact leverage of like all right i've got 50 million like dollars like what what can i right like parlay that into sure which i think it's kind of shows a lot of chutzpah
0: it's it, it it sure does um, I mean, I guess if you have to ask it as a, if it's a criminal act, then it probably is, uh, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. P- pretty interesting to, to see how this one unfolds in the coming weeks uh, for sure. And, and like you said, it's all quiet on the Western front, uh, such as it is. Well, another day that ends in why our good friend Cristiano Ronaldo is facing a $1 billion class action lawsuit due to his endorsement of Binance. Um What happened was in November of last year, Binance Binance announced its first CR7 NFT collection, which uh, its initial mint price, the cheapest one, was $77. And one year later, it sank to uh, a one whole dollar. And the class action lawsuit is linked to his relationship to Binance, obviously, because they're the ones with the deepest pockets. And of course, uh, the Night King himself, Gary Gensler, has previously said that celebrities must disclose to the public from whom and how much you are getting paid to promote investment in securities. When celebrities endorse investment opportunities, including crypto asset securities, investors should be careful to research if the investments are right for them and they should know why celebrities are making those endorsements. Why are they making these endorsements? Really? That's what we're doing. Uh, The claimants in uh, in their suit have alleged that he should have disclosed how much he was being paid because that's really the linchpin of why these people lost their money. So Moish... Were these people wrong? Does Ronaldo bear any, uh, you know, culpability with respect to people losing their money? What do you think about this one?
1: Well, look, he's a celebrity who sold NFTs. Was it likely that the buyers of those NFTs were not going to get a hundred percent of their investment back? Um, I I I think that was a chance that every one of those investors knew they were taking on day one. I, and if they didn't know that then like I don't know. Is that is that really shame on Ronaldo? <laughs> um so I'm I'm a little sympathetic to the the celebrities here that look um they sold NFTs, I'm sure they made a decent chunk of change back in 2022. I'm sure Binance got a nice little publicity spin having Ronaldo associated with their platform. Um you know, great. I'm sure there's some sort of commercial agreement between Ronaldo and Binance that now, amongst the two of them, they're going to figure out who has to defend the suit. Or, I guess, more importantly, who has to pay for the defense of the suit. Um, and something that, you know, all celebrities and platforms should think about when they're doing celebrity endorsement deals is, right. You know, what are the terms that go uh, that go on right. here? Uh, but, yeah, is, is this lawsuit going to cause other platforms of celebrities to suddenly... Take stock and think about this before they do another one. Uh, I, I don't think so, right? right? I mean, we we've seen a lot of celebrity endorsement suits. We've seen a lot of like quasi FTC violation type uh, issues that have come up in various NFT instances, various crypto instances. Um, you know, I think all all the FTX spo- uh, celebrity endorsers have been sued in one way or another. Sure, have. Um, you know, I hope there's some lessons learned there both from the celebrities and the platforms, but hopefully more importantly, the consumers that, you know, if you're buying something based off what a celebrity says on TV, like, come on, we should all know better. But the reality is that that's why that happens. And there's obviously a lot of money to be made.
0: Hmm. I mean, to me, it's just, where do you draw the line? Uh, you know, is Ronaldo responsible for it? You know, Shaquille O'Neal, I don't know if he still does, but he, you know, endorsed Taco Bell. So I'm like, oh, Shaq likes it. It It's good enough for me. Shaq was one of
1: the FTX endorsers.
0: Well, it's funny that I mentioned him, but if I eat Taco Bell (laughs) and then I'm in the bathroom for two days, is that Shaq's fault? I I mean, I don't know. It's just, to me, these kinds of things are, you know, a lot of people like to bemoan the litigious society that we live in. And then they pull things like this. It's well, well, he should have explained that he was, you know, being paid by Binance. I mean, come on. I'm sorry. Schadenfreude. I have no sympathy for these people take a lap. <laughs> <laughs> so moving right along to our, our good friends again at the SEC. Um, this involves a case uh, with a company called Debt Box. Uh, back in August, uh, the SEC had filed a complaint against Debt Box and other defendants, alleging that Debt Box was Engaged in a, quote, fraudulent conspiracy to offer unregistered securities to investors. I don't know why I said, quote, that's what they say about literally everything. Uh, Debtbox, uh, according to the, the action, sold software mining licenses tied to real world assets, which the SEC claimed were unregistered securities. Again, if I offer you a tissue, it's an unregistered security. The defendants naturally refuted this claim. And in August, the SEC won a temporary asset freeze and restraining order against them, saying the scam, scam was responsible for raising about $50 million. But then, in a, in a delightful M. Night shyamalan esque twist of uh, turn of events, on November 30th, a federal court in Utah, Judge Robert Shelby, all praise his name, issued an order saying the SEC attorneys can be sanctioned for making misleading arguments against Debt Box's alleged efforts to transfer its assets and investor funds overseas. Uh, Moish, what do you think about that? Is it nice to see the SEC get a little, uh, you know, taste of their own medicine? What do you think?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I I think it's the, the the facts here are just stunning that the SEC would go running to court claiming uh, whatever they claimed, seeking a, a temporary temporary restraining order, which is basically an emergency uh, order from the court to shut these guys down Um pending like outcome of the suit and the court's like well based on what you're telling me yeah let's 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 you know let's pause and let's figure out what's going on here because that sounds pretty crazy yeah only for it to turn out that it it seems like everything they were saying in court was like just completely wrong Mm -hmm. um so there there's um you know the the debt box uh defendants um, have some really great attorneys that are working with them to defend this case and you know reading some of the pleadings they pointed out just some of the the, input, the 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 inferences the SEC was drawing based off the conduct were just completely wrong, and yeah, there have to be consequences when a regulator doesn't take the time to understand uh, what what was going on and just rushes to the courthouse. Sure. Um, and you know, may, maybe there's good intentions. Like, you know, it's just po- po- maybe it was possible they had some good intention. They just misunderstood, or hmm. but it just says like, well, like, why don't you go and talk to them? Why don't you? Set forth regulations. Why don't you create an environment where people want to do things, can can have an exchange with the regulator, and there would be right. some level of understanding, as opposed to, to whatever happened here. Sure. So, um, you know, this is a pretty extreme case. I'm really curious to see uh, how the judge handles this, and there's others really, you know, any real consequences mm-hmm. for the SEC besides like a slap on the wrist.
0: Right. And basically a public shaming. I mean, look, we're lawyers. If I go into court and mislead the court with what I'm trying to accomplish, I get in trouble for it. Why shouldn't the SEC be held to the same standard? I I like this. I mean, I just like that people are noticing that some of what they're doing is going a bit above and beyond. And uh, I do like the, the ripple Ripple's uh, chief technology officer, David Schwartz, had a great quote, you know, the SEC's behavior is shocking. Now, the SEC went to a judge seeking an emergency order to paralyze several businesses and blatantly misrepresented the facts to get it before anyone on the other side could
1: defend themselves. Right on, David. I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah, but the important thing here is not just that, like, people recognize that the SEC is doing this. It's that district court judges right. are starting to recognize that that they're doing right. this. And I think you're seeing now a series of different cases where the SEC is making claims that are just a little bit too far outside the realm of what should be sure. happening within the realm of a district court.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. But uh, yeah, well, on to the next topic. Coinbase has announced today an update to its decentralized wallet that it allows users to send stable coins to each other at no cost. So this could happen directly through popular messaging platforms such as WhatsApp or iMessage. And this move is aimed to enhance the utility of cryptocurrencies as a medium of payment and and having Coinbase ultimately back those transfers uh, from people. So I think that's really cool. Like Kyle, if I can send you $10 in USDC through iMessage and you know, you don't care if it goes through, Coinbase or PayPal or anything. But I think the emergence of these different platforms, some, you know, Web3 native like Coinbase and some kind of, you know, more kind of like, uh, I think still pretty modern fintech systems, but not, uh, you know, just crypto native, giving users a pretty wide range of choices. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, you know, my, my question, Kyle, is we have these technologies that are now being more broadly implemented. And I think we're seeing now here at the end of 2023, going into 2024, a bit of an uptick in interest in crypto again. How, how do you think these apps like Coinbase and, you know, Venmo, it would implement the crypto and are do you think these these crypto payment apps are, are ready to take off in this next cycle?
0: I absolutely think they are. And to be perfectly honest with you, when we were reading about this, I was surprised that this hadn't been implemented already or, or at least not widely utilized. Uh, One of the things we've always talked about as being sort of a barrier to entry is the complexity of some of these different things. You know, we talk about, you know, a couple of years ago, how do you get into crypto? You go into Coinbase and you buy this and then you transfer it and you go into Uniswap, and you do all these things. And that can be very cumbersome and, and scary for a lot of people. But when you break it down and use the technology in something that people are already using every day, to me, it's a no brainer. And things like this, this is a great bellwether for wider application. Wider application is is more eyes. It's more people involved in the ecosystem. This to me, this is just a no-brainer and this is a great sign of things to come as we head into crypto spring. What I think will be interesting and, and we'll get into some of the other you know, possible uh, legislation that's coming down the pipe, uh, what the legal implications of some of these things are, because that's always going to be the question. Whenever you introduce a payment system onto an existing technology or anywhere, what are the legal implications? How do we regulate it? How do we limit bad actors from exploiting leaks and things like that? So I'd be curious from your point of view where you're sitting, what do you think the legal implications, if any, are of this specific um, payment system?
1: Well, look, I I think... This, this is kind of why we're doing all this, right? Is, is Crypto is digital money, is, is native money for the internet. And if every app, whether it's iMessage, WhatsApp, Telegram, you name it, now has native money that anyone in the world can send to anyone else in the world, um, that's why we're doing this thing, right? That's one of the cool right. things about crypto that doesn't exist in the, in the, pre, the pre-crypto world. Um, so is that going to rub, uh, some legacy institutions the wrong way? Is that going to rub people in Congress the wrong way? Is it going to rub big banks the wrong way? Is it maybe not going to fit squarely into the existing financial regulations? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, and I think a lot of those regulations need to be rewritten or need to be expanded to contemplate things like this. Um, but that doesn't mean like, it shouldn't happen or, mm-hmm. or we shouldn't advocate for ways to to enable it to happen in a in a more frictionless manner. Um and to find ways to do that in a you know regulated, safe way that complies with the laws that should be in place. Um but you know, that that's certainly gonna raise some thorny legal questions.
0: Thorny legal questions are what we do best, Moish.
1: Yeah. That's, <laughs>
0: yeah. that's right. On to our friends at Line. Uh, The messaging app Line has successfully raised $140 million in funding for the growth and development of its uh, NFT platform Line Next. Uh, The investment is noted as being the largest venture deal in the Asian blockchain Web3 space for 2023. And the lead investor on this particular um, raise was Peter Thiel's Crescendo Equity Partners, Peter Thiel comes up obviously uh, now and then uh, on this show and podcast, very prominent in the space. And we uh,
1: just talking about <coughs> PayPal. So yeah,
0: exactly. He's he's uh, he's ubiquitous, uh, that, that good old Peter Thiel, that rascal. Uh, Line Next NFT platform DOSI is currently in beta, but it has gained significant traction with over five and a half million users worldwide and more than 470,000 cumulative transactions in one year. And this funding will help the company introduce new services to accelerate the Web3 ecosystem further. Um, so Moish, what impact do you think that a a system such as this will have on the, you know, the broader web three space when you're talking about messaging and utilizing the crypto technology, where do you think this is going to lead us?
1: Yeah. I think this is a great segue from the topic we were just talking about how I think a lot of the, the new users for crypto are going to come from apps like line from, from apps like iMessage from apps, Mm -hmm. like WhatsApp. I'm using this app already. I'm using Facebook, I'm using PayPal, whatever I'm using. And now instead of using whatever I'm using, I'm using crypto or now I'm using the app to, instead of sending an emoji to send an NFT or to, to have some affinity for a brand I'm, I love. Um, and that's how people are interacting with digital assets, or I think will be interacting with digital assets going forward. So I think the normalization of this in all these different apps, which I think is the theme of, of these last couple segments um is is really intriguing. I think it's exciting um but i I think it also kind of shows how uh it's not it's not quite there yet right we're still we're still kind of smoothing around the edges as you mentioned before uh it the onboarding process still isn't super easy and I think that's a category where apps like these can really Help kind of, um, you know, with mainstream adoption. It's just making it easier for people. Like, I'm already using the app. I'm already logged in as a user. Now I have the ability to use crypto to mm-hmm. to mint an NFT, to do it, to do whatever it is. Um, and then and then give people that off ramp to say, okay, well, you're you're in our little safe box here. But if you want to go out into the big leagues and and start playing with a, 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 a you know non custodial wallet then then like here, here's the here's the avenue to go do that right yeah. and so I, th- I think i think you know there's there's kind of going to be that spectrum and i think these types of, of ventures are going to have a big part to play in that
0: yeah that, that's a great point one of the interesting aspects i think of what you're starting to see about what the line next uh, platform is going to do is that you basically have people with you know wealth and personality tied to a specific wallet address and before they couldn't really communicate with each other and now they'll be able to it can give you this authenticity about you communicating with somebody else and you can see specifically what they have, it it just opens a direct line that I was surprised to see didn't really exist before. I I think that's really interesting and that's going to foster a lot more communication in the space. And and when you have communication, it fosters interest and innovation. To me, this is a home run. And once again, Peter Thiel knows what he's doing.
1: (laughs) I I like how you worked in a direct line into that sentence. So Well, well, well played.
0: Thank you. Oh, boy. Here we go. Oh, boy. Well. You ready? I'm ready. So on Monday, our, uh, our good friend, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, announced that some of her colleagues and friends on the Senate Banking Committee and some other uh, you know, of her fellow senators are co-sponsoring her previously introduced Digital Asset Anti-Money Money Laundering Act, or DAMA, or DAMA, depending on who you ask. Uh, according to warren the legislation specifically targets illicit uses of crypto assets for money laundering and financing terrorism because that's that's all these the only words these people know in the announcement warren has uh, reiterated a claim she made in a december 6th hearing of the senate banking committee and in subsequent interviews that roughly half of north korea's missile program was funded by digital assets you know th- this has been a current theme that's come up on a few and a few things we've talked about on the show: the act extends the Bank uh, Secrecy Act to digital asset ecosystem, incorporating much stricter KYC (Know Your Customer) uh, reporting requirements. And the bill has garnered bipartisan support, which I consider shocking. Um, <laughs> with with the new co-sponsors, and the bill aims to equip regulators with more tools to prevent criminal activities such as money laundering and funding uh, funding terrorist activities. So Moish, with these heightened reporting requirements, what do you think the net effect will be, or what ripple effects do you think this legislation, if passed—which you know we can get to that later—if passed will have on the broader ecosystem?
1: Yeah, if passed, being the the key thing here, because I think that's like okay. Assuming this is passed, I think this is a disaster, and I think the the notion that we're just by default extending. You know, the, the KYC AML regime, the Bank Secrecy Act regime from the legacy financial institutions and just taking that wholesale and importing it now right. into the digital asset ecosystem. It's just it, it's taking a system that is not proven at scale to really do an amazing job of what its you know stated goals are. And it, it certainly is not tailored to the digital asset ecosystem. So I think it's just it's it's a bad system as it exists today, right? And you're and you're now trying to translate it to a new system where it doesn't fit. Yeah. So I, I, I just don't it. understand the the point of this aside to say hey, you know we're trying to have strict KYC you know rules to stop yeah. terrorist financing and to stop uh, money laundering in crypto. Which I get it. That's a that's an admirable goal, and we should <laughs> all be thinking about how can we yeah. create a system to to deter you know terrorist financing activities happening with crypto and to deter, you know, unsavory folks, you know, doing their money laundering through crypto. Right. But you know, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater.
0: No, that that's exactly right. To me this is another version of Sarbanes-Oxley and the Patriot Act which are, you know, responding to important things but having just such unforeseen consequences or maybe they were foreseen that that you destroy, you know, people who are participating in the space in earnest and doing the right thing, you make it impossible for them. And one of the keys here is that this legislation expands the definition of financial institutions, financial institutions to include crypto miners, hardware wallet providers, blockchain validators. So now you're going to make these people, uh, obligated to have regulatory requirements and filing requirements and reporting requirements. Like, like to me, that's absolutely insane. This is regulatory burdens, oversight on key players, upholding the Bitcoin system, I, I mean, I don't think this is going to pass in a not in an off election year. We're heading into a presidential election year, so obviously this is not going to happen. I don't think I'm saying anything, you know, crazy or or unpredictable. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't think, think any yeah.
1: any you
0: know any serious bill. <laughs> bill is passing <laughs> yeah.
1: related to crypto. And there's just no appetite for it. There's yeah. there's bigger things going on, and there's a, there's enough big legislation that like actually needs to pass that is mm-hmm. not passing. That I just feel like these these kinds of acts are just so far down the list of what is a priority that's, right now that yeah. it seems really unlikely to me that anything like this is going to get passed before, you know, the the, the next general election.
0: No, I agree. Soundbite politics. We're fighting terrorism. Like that's great, but you're not. Fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good fight
1: uh, Senator Warren. Exactly. All right, everyone. Thanks for watching. I just want to note that we have a holiday card that is a mintable NFT with some really cool, um, art that we commissioned, uh, we're going to link it in the show notes, but please check it out. Feel free to mint us. Let us know what you think. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for sticking with us our, our first uh, you know few months here. And uh, we hope to see you uh, continue watching. Like, subscribe. Let's keep it going, guys.
0: All right. Thank you, Moish. Appreciate that. And uh, that wraps it up for this week's Block & Order. Special thanks to producer Chris. Without him, uh, the show would not be possible. Remember, nothing contained in this show is meant to be construed as legal and or financial advice. So please do your own research and consult your own attorney if you're going to take the plunge down the rabbit hole. For Block & Order, I'm Kyle Lawrence.
1: And I'm Willis Belts.
0: So long, everybody. Take care.